Good morning, Sterling. I hope you're all doing really well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryce, and it is my privilege and pleasure to be bringing you God's Word this morning. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through a series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And these, these I Am Statements are quite interesting because of a few different reasons. First of all, Jesus is referring to something from long ago which is when Moses had this encounter with God, this burning bush experience, and God makes himself known to Moses. He says, I am that I am. And then he goes, and when Moses is sent to the Israelites, he says, who must I tell them has sent me? And God says to him, tell them that I am has sent you. It's this bold statement that God makes to Moses. I am not only the God who was or the God who will be one day. I am both of these things and everything in between. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And so when Jesus goes and makes these I am statements, he is claiming deity. He is showing them I am the same I am that sent Moses to go and save the Israelites out of Egypt. And all of the people in his day would have known this. At some point, we see them picking up stones the moment he says, I am, and then uh, continues with an I am statement. And each one of these I am statements is beautiful because they show us different characteristics of Jesus. It it twists his, his character to show a different perspective on what he wants us to know. So when Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life, he's showing us that just in the same way that the manna came down from heaven and sustained a whole nation for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness, so the Son of God has come down from heaven and He's able to sustain us until we are led into our promised land. In the same way that He is the light of the world, um, He uh, can lead us into our promised land, which is heaven one day. And He's referring to the, the pillar of flame that led God's people through the wilderness. And so as we look at the context of these I Am statements, as we look at what Jesus is referring to, we find that these I am statements grow. There's a richness towards them because it unfolds scripture for us to see Christ more clearly. And so for today, we are going to need to unpack some context as well to understand our I am statement. Because I'm going to be preaching this morning on the next one, which is I am the door. And that I am statement you will find in John chapter 10, verse 7 to 9. So let's look at some context before we go straight to John chapter 10. About halfway through John chapter 8, Jesus has uh, very clearly stated he is the light of the world. Those who have Christ will not walk around in darkness. Instead, by this light of the world, they will be able to take him into life. They will see things as they really are. And most importantly, by the light of the world, they'll be able to see Christ for who he really is. And that is the Messiah, the Son of God, the only one who's able to save people. And what we see next is something that Jesus doesn't always do, but when he does, it is amazing. And that is that he uses his miracle working power to show and to prove a point that he has just taught to the people. And so he's just made these statements of, I am the light of the world, by me you will be able to see. And then we go into John chapter 9, where Jesus finds somebody who is born blind. He's never seen anything his whole life. And it's this picture of us before coming to know Christ. That we are also born spiritually blind. We're unable to see Christ for who he really is. And Jesus goes and he heals this man born blind. And for the very first time, he can see. And it throws the whole city into utter confusion because they know this guy. 
They look at him and they say, how is it that you see? We remember how you used to sit in the corner. You were blind. You could see absolutely nothing. And his response is in John chapter 9 verse 11. He says, the man called Jesus. And the rest is history. Jesus Christ opens this man's eyes physically so that he can see. But it's not long before you realize that Jesus didn't just heal him physically. Because now spiritually, this person can see as well. And so Jesus takes him on a very brief journey. It takes about one day before he lands up with Christ as the Savior in front of him. So we see that he starts off in verse 11 saying, the man called Jesus. But it's not long before he gets pulled before the authorities. And they say, how is it that you see? And he says in, in verse 17, he is a prophet. Do you notice there's been some progress here? He starts off saying he's just a man called Jesus. And then he says, wait a minute, this is a messenger from God. This is a prophet. Later on in John chapter 9 verse 30, he says, he opened my eyes. He's more than a prophet. He's not just a man. What sort of a prophet in the Old Testament could open the eyes of somebody born blind? None of them. And then in verse 33, he says boldly in front of the Pharisees who are busy rebuking them, rebuking him he says he must be from God of course the Pharisees do not like this they hate Jesus looking for reasons to kill Jesus and they throw Jesus out of the synagogue as well as this guy who is searching for this Messiah but that doesn't stop Jesus Jesus as the good shepherd goes and he gathers this lost sheep and pulls him in which is why in John chapter 9 verse 38 Jesus reveals himself to this person and says he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It was only one day and all of a sudden he has gone on this journey and he's come to the realization. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, is also the only one that can save me. He is the door. But it is in this context of the Pharisees having their whole uh, system turned upside down. Them not knowing who Jesus is or what is happening. This man born blind, all of a sudden being able to see him claiming Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We need to believe in him and put our faith in him. That John chapter 9 closes and we get into John chapter 10 where our statement comes today. So I'm going to read John chapter 10 verse 1 to 9 for us. Jesus is speaking. There are some Pharisees in the crowd here. And he says... Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture let's pray lord we need you this morning to understand your word lord we want to understand what you mean when you say i am the door 
Lord, I cannot preach on this I am statement without you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us by the power of your Holy Spirit to read and to know exactly what you mean by this I am statement. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So my first point for this morning, point number one, is the true shepherds use the door. And as we start unpacking this illustration that Jesus gives us, we need to know what is he referring to? When he says door and shepherds and sheepfolds, what he's referring to was something that was very common in his time. What it was is all the shepherds in an area would get together and they would build a large, usually square enclosure. They would pile rocks up and build a tall wall. They would put thorny branches on the top to try and stop people from jumping over to get to where the sheep were inside. And this enclosure would have one entrance and one exit. It was the same narrow little door that there was there. It was a narrow little place. And what they would do to stop the sheep from leaving at night and to stop the predators from getting in is they would designate a shepherd to be the door. He would sleep over that entrance, putting his own life on the line to make sure that if any sheep tried to quickly jump out, he would grab it and put it back in. He would wake up straight away. But also what that meant for that shepherd is that if there happened to be a wolf or a bear or a lion that was hungry for some sheep, it would find him before it gets to the sheep. And Jesus is using this illustration because of this reason. The Pharisees are claiming to be the spiritual shepherds of Israel. They are over the synagogue. They control everything that's going on there. And Jesus is saying to them, if you are the spiritual shepherds of Israel, why are you stopping the sheep from coming to the Savior? Why are you stopping them from coming to the Messiah? Because this guy has his heart bursting with faith once his physical vision has been healed and he's looking for the Messiah. And the Pharisees say, we know that Jesus has come from the wrong place. They start casting doubts on Jesus and they'll try their utmost to stop anybody from coming and putting their faith in Christ. They show that they are not the true shepherds of God's flock. The true shepherds of God's flock are those who use the door, who is Christ. The true shepherds are the ones who help God's flock to see that the door is Jesus Christ, that that is how they enter into the sheepfold of God, that they will magnify Christ and show that God's sheep really need to go to Christ to receive their nourishment, to go to Christ for their, their uh, protection. And the Pharisees are having none of it, and they will try and reject Christ and throw him out. They even go so far as to say in John chapter 8, verse 41, when they are arguing with Jesus, they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. They're saying to Jesus, hey, do you remember how you sort of appeared when your parents weren't married? You are sexually, you're, you're born of sexual immorality. You're not even supposed to be here. And this is where Jesus now needs to step in and go, hold on a second. Now I'm going to correct you. You might find yourself close to God's flock. You might find yourselves in the sheepfold. But guess what, my friends? You are not shepherds of God's flock because you have not come through the door. The door is Christ. Those who would find themselves rightly so in God's flock would come through Christ. They would have a sacrificial love and care for the flock. And instead, what the Pharisees have done is they have used their learning to think that they can launch themselves over the wall and land in God's flock. And Jesus says, you are there, but you are not a shepherd. And what that means is that you are thieves and robbers. Just because you've memorized the first five books of the Bible does not mean 
that God has anointed and called you to be a shepherd to my sheep. And that's what these guys had done. They thought because of their learning, because they were so smart, that they had to then be one of God's under shepherds who was with God's people. And yet Jesus would look at them face to face in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40. And he says these words, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These guys did not love Jesus. They refused to realize and to acknowledge that the Messiah is Christ. All these books that they had memorized should have pointed them to the fact that Jesus is the Savior. And so Jesus is left with the only other conclusion, which is, you guys are thieves and robbers. You have launched yourself into this pen, and you are not feeding the sheep. The Pharisees care nothing for the sheep. They are not going and gathering in those who are scattered abroad. Christ is doing that. And so Jesus says, you are thieves in the way that you are underhanded, with your guile, you have done things under the table. You have manipulated your way into this position. But also you guys are robbers. You guys, by violence and force, have taken what you think, think belongs to you. By violence and force, they thrust people out of the synagogue. And they tell them to steer clear of Jesus. Don't go near him. And if any of you dares to believe in Christ, we will throw you out of the synagogue as well. These are not the true shepherds true under shepherds that God uses use the door they go through Christ Christ opens up and draws them in towards the sheep the sheep hear the voice of the under shepherds that God uses they are obedient to what God is saying and the true shepherds magnify the door who is Christ himself my second point for this morning is that the door means separation and what I mean by that is that nobody starts off in right relationship with Jesus. Nobody is merely born into a Christian family and is then automatically in the flock of God. Some of us have this understanding that maybe if we do more good things and bad things, then we might make it to heaven. Or if we do a few bad things, we've got to quickly make up for it. That is nonsense. That is not at all what the Bible tells us. Instead, what the Bible would say is that we are all born into sin and in need of saving from the moment that we are born. That is why King David says in Psalm chapter 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right from the very beginning, we are estranged, we are lost, far from God. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says the same thing. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so the door means separation. That none of us starts off in God's flock. And what will it be that causes you to go into God's flock? It is not by merely drawing close to the door or by looking at the door from a distance. It, the only thing that will save you is by faith going through the door. Going, you must be the son of God. If you look at the, the reaction of this person who was born blind and Jesus goes and heals him of his physical vision but also gives him the spiritual vision. You see in him a heart that is bursting with faith, looking for the Savior, going, who is he? Where must I go to receive eternal life? And the answer is that you must go through the door by faith in Christ. That is the only thing that is able to save us, not merely drawing near. And it reminds me of a dream that somebody had, which is a true story. He, 
as he was dreaming, he found himself sitting on a fence. And as he sat on the fence, he looked over to the right-hand side, and there were the, arm, the angel armies of heaven, these angels with these bright flaming swords, and in the midst of them was Christ in his white robes. And everywhere he went, he was victorious, taking ground. Then he looks over to the left-hand side, and he, he sees Satan there with all of his demons, and there are groans and screams of agony on this side. Pools of lava busy uh, collecting here. And as he considers both of these sides, he hears this voice booming out over his dream. And it says, you must choose. And he doesn't. He's disobedient. He stays on the fence and he considers both sides for a while. And then this voice comes and it booms out over his dream one more time. It says, you must choose now. And he blinks. And as he wakes up, he finds himself in utter darkness. He can still hear the screams around him. And Satan comes with a little lamp and he says, Oh, I'm so glad that you chose me, my friend. And he gets startled. He goes, Wait a minute. I didn't choose those guys, but I definitely didn't choose you. And he says, Of course you did. The fence is mine. When it comes to salvation, the fence belongs to Satan. None of us are going to get away with holding God for at an arm's length away, drawing near merely to consider this door. Instead, what we are to do is we are to, by faith, go through the door. Put your faith in Him. If you look at all of the people who followed Christ, the door still meant separation for them as well. For those of you who find yourself in the building today who are Christian and you love Jesus, Jesus still means separation but from the world not separation from god's family all of the people who would follow christ had to leave things behind if you look at peter and andrew they had a family fishing business and the door still meant that they were to separate themselves from these things so that they might more effectively follow christ if you look at paul he was one of the most promising up-and-coming zealots he would have been a pharisee he would have had all the money he could have wanted he would have had the social prestige and power and yet Christ goes and says, you must separate yourself from these things. Die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And Paul does it. If you look at Levi, he's a tax collector. He has to leave his tax booth behind and follow Christ. Look at Zacchaeus with his loads of money bags. He has to give away that money back to the people that he's swindled. And he is separated from his love of possessions and power and things in the world so that he can most effectively follow Christ. And while I was prepping the sermon, I got this picture of a nice, big, fluffy sheep. And it's sort of limping in and out of the sheepfold of God. And the reason why it's limping in and out is because there are thorns between its hooves. And its, its wool is covered in burrs. And it's weighing down heavily on this sheep. And each time it goes in or out through the door, it is hoping and going, I really hope that the door doesn't come and take these burrs off my wool. They're my favorite ones. And I want to give you a challenge today, Christian. If you want to run most effectively for Christ, will you see that Christ as the door loves you enough to remove and to prune certain things from your life that are weighing you down, certain things that hinder your walk with God, that might slow you down as you get sanctified and slow you down in the things of God, but He does this because He loves you. It's exactly what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin 
which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Christ loves you. And because of that, Christ wants to prune and get rid of certain things that might slow down your walk with God. He does not do this because he hates us or because we aren't part of his flock. Rather, we are sons and daughters, and that means that he disciplines those that he loves. He knows that although we might find joy in certain things down here in this world, it is absolutely nothing compared to the joy that we will find in Christ when we cling to him fully. And so he asks us, he tells us, separate yourself from these other things and grasp onto me tightly. My third and final point for today is that the door is our salvation. If you think about this illustration that Jesus gives us, it's rather apt because sheep cannot defend themselves. Uh, sheep are not very intelligent creatures. And if, an, if a predator were to run after a sheep, its greatest defense would probably be to outrun its larger mates that are behind it. But they needed this sheepfold. They needed somewhere that they would be safe. And so they needed Jesus Christ as the door. And that is each one of us this morning is we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the door who loves us. We are not threatened by some other wild animals like these sheep might have been, where there may have been wolves or bears or, or lions. Rather for us, our greatest threat and our greatest need is salvation. We need to make sure that we have gone through the door of Christ through faith. We, we can do that this morning. The preaching of the gospel demands a response as well. And so we are going to prepare our hearts for communion. And as we do that, I want you to consider something. Is that Jesus Christ is the door. Only those who have faith in Christ end up in the sheepfold or they are robbers and thieves and they shouldn't be in there. But here is what I want you to consider. Is that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he is willing to be the door. The thing that stands between his, his flock and his sheep and between the wrath of Almighty God. Though it slays him. His love keeps him there because he loves you, because he wants you to be in his flock and to be saved. And so I'm going to ask um, you all to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask that we just listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 53. This is the gospel being told, the, the coming of this Messiah coming many hundreds of years later. But I want you to hear what Isaiah 53 says. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can open your eyes. The gospel truth is that all of our iniquity, all of our lies, our filth, the terrible deeds that we have done have been laid on the perfect Son of God. The just dying for the unjust. The godly being crucified and beaten and tortured for the ungodly, which is us. 
And yet he does this because he loves us. The door standing between us and the wrath of God. And the end result of the sacrifice that he makes is told to us in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 and 11. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. It was the will of the Lord to crush his perfect son, Jesus Christ, because he loves you. And so as we come up for communion, I'm going to ask that the helpers come to the front. I want you to consider the love that God has for you specifically. The love that would keep the perfect Son of God hanging on the cross because He takes your place. The door that would stand between you and the wrath of God. And for those of you who find that maybe you are not on the inside of this flock yet. Maybe you have not crossed this line of faith yet. You've maybe considered Christ. You've maybe come to the door and you've come to church for a while. If your faith is not yet in Christ, then communion is not yet for you. But also this is an open opportunity for you to make today the very first day that you put your faith and your trust in Christ. His promise in this I am statement is that whoever comes through him will be found in God's flock. They will be saved. And that can be you this morning. You guys can come up as you're ready. And I ask that we hold on to the elements and we'll eat and drink together. Let us eat and drink in remembrance of him.
Lord, we want to thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you made for us at the cross. Lord, you call us to remember it. Though it crushed you, you still stayed there because you love us. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we um, go into one last song to worship you for all that you've done for us, Lord, would you remind us that you are the door. You are the door who can stay open for us to come through you and to enter into your flock. But Lord, we also know that you're the door that has protected us from the wrath of God because you took it onto yourself. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, it is the love of God that moved him to be the door for us. The love of God that moved him to take that cost that we owed God and to pay it fully at the cross. And so what we're going to do now is we've got one last song. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. And then we'll close off. We're going to close with Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. This is the gospel. This is the joy of having Jesus as our Redeemer. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. Isn't that wonderful? He is my joy and righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me.